Welcome to the Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Glad to have you with us on the Bible and Our Culture. I hope you're excited for the new year. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and are raring to go. Today we're going to look at the ministry of Gideon, namely his calling, and how that is a setting for revival. We look at the culture through the lens of the Bible, and we're not doing like the world insists. They want us to look at the Bible through the lens of the culture and make sure that if we look at the Bible, we're coming up with conclusions that the world wants. We are not going to do that. We are going to look at Gideon's call today because I believe it's relevant for today. His victory and his failures are relevant for today because I think God wants to do something powerful in the Pacific Northwest, something powerful in the United States of America, and it requires faith, it requires submission, and it requires obedience. We see all this in the life of Gideon. So let's look into chapter 6 of the book of Judges and read his calling, the first 12 verses. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also, Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Let's pause there because there's a lot we can glean already from that. I, I believe this call of Gideon is the setting for revival. And we can make some objective observations. We can see that Gideon's call came at a desperate time of enduring God's judgment at the hands of their enemies. Now, was God doing the judging or was the enemies doing the judging? Well, yeah, both. God had allowed the, the Midianites and uh, the Amalekites and the people of the East to rise up to oppress Israel because they had forsaken God and they were following the ways of the world. They were following the, the gods and idols 
of their day instead of trusting in God alone. They destroyed all their crops and their livestock. They had nothing. Their armies and their camels were without number. So prophet declared they brought them brought this on themselves. He said in verse 1, the Bible says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You may not like me saying this is relevant to today, but I believe it is. There's something strangely familiar as we read this, but it's strangely familiar within the context of the book of Judges as well. We had already seen this happen with the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah. That is, they, uh, the children of Israel grew reckless and gave into the temptation, started following the ways of the world, following the other gods and philosophies around them. So they fell into judgment. They, the, their enemies renounced them and began to oppress them. So they cried out to God in repentance. And eventually God heard them and he sent a judge to rescue them and deliver them. And then there was a time of great rejoicing, which caused them to go back into recklessness again, where they were renounced by their enemies. So they had to repent and then they were rescued by a judge and they were in rejoicing. This five-step cycle happened over and over again. Those, uh, that five-station cycle all began with the letter R, but we could take the letter S. They fell into sin, and so they were snared by their enemies. They cried out to the Lord with supplication, and he brought salvation to them through the judges, and that led to great success. But while enjoying success, they went back into sin, where they were snared by their enemies, so they cried out in supplication, on and on it goes. We see this all throughout the book of Judges. These are just the first three main judges, but it happens over and over and over again. I, I call it like Scooby-Doo. Every, I'm dating myself a little bit, but every Scooby-Doo I saw, whether it was Scooby and Scrappy or Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Dumb or just the traditional Scooby-Doo, all had the same basic plot and the same ending. And this is how it is in the book of Judges. They keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over again, and they their recipe for success is the same over and over again. So it's just kind of like Scooby-Doo. Verse 9, chapter 6 in the book of Judges, says, And I have delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The, the prophet explaining to them what's going on. This cycle will not only continue out throughout the book of Judges, but we see it throughout the Old Testament of just... Sin and sentencing and salvation and success, on and on it goes. But if you're a fan of American history, if, if you like American history as I do, I think we can see this throughout American history. Time of success and time of judgment. God pours out his wrath. We repent. We lead back to the blessing that I believe America is called to. I think we saw this with the Civil War. It's judgment and led to cleansing. Uh, then great time of prosperity, and then and then we got to the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, where there was uh, some prosperity and lots of technological breakthroughs, so people fell into sin and prostitution and organized crime, and so came the Great Depression and World War II and kind of led us back to the Lord. And guess what? We're due for a revival. 
And if the story of Gideon is true, then I can have hope that we can see revival today in America. Don't talk against it. You know, God is faithful. He's faithful to punish his people for disobedience and idolatry. But he's also faithful if we repent, we turn from our wicked ways, seek him, we confess our sins, he will lead us into revival, reformation. We need that. So God's judgment is always good because God is good. Now, often the way the judged would define good is really different. But the way an omniscient, all-wise God defines good, God's judgment is always good. Hopefully, it leads us back to him. Though not to the extent of starvation, as in Gideon's day, the judgment of God is everywhere in our society. I often hear people say something like, Oh, I, I wish God would just get it over with and just judge America. What? What do you, what do you mean that? Well, when is God going to judge America? I'm like, open your eyes. God has been judging America. Now, he doesn't store up his judgment and he's acting all nice, and all of a sudden he's had enough, and he loses his temper, and out comes fire from the sky, bolts of lightning to burn up everybody who pissed him off. That's not how God is. He could be that way, but often he gives us judgment on the installment plan, and we reap the consequences of our choices, and it, it gets bad, and it's been getting bad. We've had some balloon payments lately. I, I feel like 9-11, many years ago now, was kind of a balloon payment of God's judgment. The installment plan, we were reaping more and more judgment, and then there was a, a, a big affliction on us, and it was a call to repentance. But we didn't really heed that. So then came the pandemic, and, and masks and all sorts of, of crazy lockdowns and government oppression. And I, I think maybe now we're, we're waking up. I pray we are. Some of these balloon payments were simply God's mercy so that those of us who are discerning could cry out to him in supplication and prayer and ask him for deliverance. But judgment is everywhere. I see it every time I have to talk to somebody, a customer service. Every now and then I get a hold of somebody on the phone and they're courteous and they know what they're talking about with customer service. But usually it's a fiasco. I just liken it to the judgment of God on our nation. How about all the government bureaucracies? My goodness, in the state of Washington, never can get a hold of anybody at any state department. Like I'm on hold, I'm transferred around. But if you mess up, if you don't have your L&I in on time, if you don't have your information to the Department of Revenue, man, they, they expect you to be on the ball. But when you want to get a simple answer, they put you on hold and, yes, disconnect you after waiting on hold for a long time. Happened to me many times. I think an example of judgment in our society is simply the growing mental health concerns. We see it all over the place. We see some really uh, nasty situations downtown, some of the homeless people. Uh, are they homeless because their mental health or is their mental health taking a hit because they're homeless? I, I think it's a, a little bit of the chicken and the egg type of thing. It's, it's both. But we see it at all levels. A lot more depressed people, a lot more anxious people perhaps than we've ever seen, and some that really cannot function because of their mental health. It didn't used to be that way. And I grew up in Spokane. I love to be hanging out downtown, Riverfront Park, and every now and then you'd see somebody that's kind of acting weird and, you know, stay away from that person. But man, can't hardly go down there now without being, can't hardly shop at Walmart without seeing some strange folks that just seem to be suffering from mental health. 
And my heart goes out to him, but at the same time, I'm like, where did we go wrong? Aren't we going to wake up? My goodness, we were downtown at a restaurant, my wife and I, going on a date before Christmas a little while ago, and uh, we hadn't been in there very long, and somebody got mad, threw their glass of water all over the, the floor, and all the people in there are like, oh, this shouldn't be acting this way on Christmas. The person stormed out, and my guess is they didn't pay. It's just like, this is almost new, the new normal. right? The, the left wanted a new normal. Well, this is it. Mental health everywhere. Problems everywhere. We see skyrocketing crime and unprosecuted crimes. Kind of contributes to the crime numbers if you're not going to prosecute them. So many people know they can get away with whatever. Of course, the Biden family seems to be getting away with a lot now. They're, they're finally, uh, hopefully, going to be called to account. But the double standard of crime with Republicans versus Democrats, to me, is, is evidence of, of a real problem. And I think it's God's judgment on us, judgment on the installment plan. Of course, inflation has been a problem. Illegitimate parents and promiscuity, they kind of go hand in hand if you, if you don't know how it works. But we see lots of promiscuity, so consequently we see lots of illegitimacy. And it's not fair to the kids. Now, of course, there's many secularists who got it all figured out. Oh, just have sex with whoever you want and then just terminate the pregnancy. Well, if abortion itself wasn't so wicked and terrible, then I think the lie that make it about a woman's right to choose would be more terrible. It, it's, it is terrible. It's crazy that you would conjure up such a phony excuse to just say, well, they're not human, and it's about my choice. How is that different than any other murder? So we see great confusion. We see lots of domestic violence, very frustrated people. Certainly, it's, it's usually the, the man who gets violent, uh, but it could be with the women as well. And, and we see very unhappy family life, unhappy souls are contributing to this. Of course, tremendous disrespect for fathers and fatherhood in general. When's the last time you really saw dad as a hero that you could trust? Almost every movie, every sitcom that I have watched, which isn't a whole lot, you see the dad as a bumbling fool, corny and embarrassing, and mom's the, the brave one, and the kids are brave, but, but dad, he's kind of a liability. My goodness, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's not what the Bible teaches. So we've seen a tremendous breakdown of the family. I mentioned the illegitimacy and promiscuity and disrespect for fathers, but we see uh, divorce and, and we see just unhappy families that don't communicate, don't take time for each other. They're on the electronics all the time, that sort of thing. I think we've seen God's judgment with scorn for Christians and scorn for biblical standards. You see it everywhere. Whenever you hear the phrase, don't judge, it's almost always passing judgment on biblical standards almost always passing judgment on Christianity. But if somebody wants to judge Christianity, then it's not, don't judge, it's, it's totally acceptable. You better use preferred pronouns. Isn't that being judgmental to force those standards on others? That's not considered judgmental. But if you say, well, God made us male and female, well, now you're being judgmental. It's a double standard. And, it, and it's signs of God's judgment on us, judgment on the church, I think, because we've forsaken his standards. So we see homelessness, we see rent and mortgage rates skyrocketing. 
And we see loss of religious liberties. We've seen that try to happen. I don't know if it's happening as much as some of us would, would fear that it's happening. But man, they're trying to do it. They, they really were successful at it to some degree at Spokane City Hall. And the city council has, has passed resolutions that I think are infringing upon religious liberty. So how do we apply all this? Well, like Gideon, God's people have been asking some repentant questions. I think believers are beginning to wake up. We're praying. We're obeying God. That's the most important thing. Well, I guess prayer is pretty important as well. Like in Gideon's day, our nation has reaped what we've sown. Gideon's day, they had come under judgment for falling into worship of other gods. And we've done the same thing today. We've let way too much of the world get into the church. Now, Jesus taught, and has taught other places in the Bible, don't be of the world, but be in the world. Be in the world and not of the world. And a lot of people are like, oh man, that's a kind of hard balance. I don't know where to draw the line. I don't remember as a kid growing up trying to serve Jesus, but kind of wondering, oh, I don't want to be of the world. At the same time, I, I've got to be sure I'm in the world, and maybe I need to be in the world a little bit more. And, and maybe I'm not of the world. I, I don't know where the line is. Well, an analogy to me, I learned last summer as we were celebrating a, a family vacation at a cabin by a lake, and there were canoes up along the side of the house. So I thought, hey, let's go on a canoe ride. So we brought the canoe down and put it in the water, and we went on a, on a canoe trip, paddled around the lake. So the canoe was in the water. And that's where the canoe is supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the water. But there would be a major problem if we let the water get into the canoe. If we let the water get into the canoe, the canoe's going to sink. So we've got to be really careful not to lean too far one way and let the water get into the canoe. And it's really the same with the church being in the world and not of the world. Let's be in the world, but man, you better not let the world get into the church. And I'm afraid that's happening too much. A lot of people think that's, that means they're being good Christians by being worldly. I, don't, I think God has a different view on it. Well, God in his great love has given us clear plans on how to access his power for revival. We see it throughout scripture. Verse 11, chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress, in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, this in itself is a picture of oppression. If you're going to thresh wheat, the idea is you do it on a hill, hopefully with a little breeze. So you could crack open the, the wheat and the chaff, the little crispy stuff would blow in the wind as you threw it up in the air, and then the, the hard kernels of grain would fall to the ground. And that was what it meant to thresh wheat. But if you're doing it in a wine press, which was where they catch all the, all the wine in order to hide, well, that means it's going to be really hard to get a breeze down there. So here, poor Gideon's, I don't know how he's separating the wheat from the chaff, but it uh, must have been pretty difficult in the wine press. But what choice did he have? If he did it up on a hill, the Midianites would see and come and take his grain. In verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What? He wasn't acting like a mighty man of valor. Let's take a quick break and be back in just a moment. Two years ago, Liberty Remnant Church was founded in Spokane by a group of committed Christ followers who, believing God, sought to build a distinct local church for His glory. 
LRC is a simple, relational, biblical church that holds firm to the basic tenets of biblical Christianity. We believe we are to represent Christ's love, power, and wisdom in every and any facet of society. Perhaps you've seen our pastor, Jay McPherson, or others from Liberty Remnant Church, either standing up at Spokane City Hall or at a local school board meeting in the area. We believe we are called to be salt and light as we bring people to new life in Christ. If you are looking for a local church or know someone who is, please consider what God is doing at Liberty Remnant Church. We meet every Sunday at the Oakwood Inn, 7919 North Division at 10 a.m. For more information or to contact our pastor, please check out our website at libertyremnantchurch.org. Once again, that's libertyremnantchurch.org. Welcome back to the Bible and our culture. Where today we're looking at the call of Gideon and how it is a setting of revival that I pray we can apply for America today. We left with verse 6, where the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon while he's hiding and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Pretty crazy because he's hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press instead of on a hill. All the produce that they've had, all their crops, all their livestock has been confiscated by the invading armies. And they don't have much to survive on. They don't have sustenance. So it's ironic that this angel would say, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. We'll talk more about it next week, but I believe this angel of the Lord is a theophany. That is, it is the pre-incarnate Jesus before he was actually Jesus. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we see it a few times in Genesis. I think the angel of the Lord was the one who met Moses at the burning bush. Uh, we see the angel of the Lord in in places, some places they don't call it the angel of the Lord. Uh, they call it a man or that wrestled with Jacob. And in Joshua, they call it the commander of the army of the Lord. We saw the fourth man in the fire with Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. I believe that was a theophany where Jesus, who wasn't really Jesus yet, he wasn't Jesus until he was uh, in the womb, but he was still the Son of God, that second person of the Trinity. Well, think of the significance when the Son of God shows up and why in the Old Testament. It's mentioned four times here in the book of Judges. Once the angel of the Lord came and gave a prophecy to the children of Israel and say, hey, you know why you're under judgment? It's because you forsake my ways and you've turned aside to other gods. You're following the philosophy of the world. Get with it. Well, they fall into reproach, but Jesus shows up. He shows up while they're still in their sin. Jesus shows up while they're suffering the consequences of their sin. Jesus is so merciful, so kind, so loving. He's nobody you want to mess with. He thinks he's God. He thinks he's king. He thinks he's the Lord and expects you to do what he says. But he loves us so much that here he is showing up to encourage Gideon while they're still suffering the consequences of their sin. A sin that, boy, they could have got, God just could have wiped him out. He would have been fully just in doing so. But in his mercy, he sent the pre-incarnate Jesus to encourage Gideon 
and to call him to bring revival to his day and his time. Can you hear the voice of the Lord calling you to stand for revival and reformation in this day and in this time? When we suffer the consequences of our sin, both individually and collectively, I believe Jesus shows up to call us to repentance. Oh, there's lots of snares around us. The philosophy of the world, materialism, sexual promiscuity, just lust and anger. And and the philosophy of the secularists today is so damaging. And we are renounced by our enemies. They they look down on us. I I mentioned earlier in city council, we were renounced for going to a worship service that wasn't approved by the city council. Well, we can't continue with business as usual when we see these kind of things happening. We are kind of like Gideon hiding in our caves, and it's time we hear the, the call of the Lord, God is with you, you mighty man or woman of valor. Jesus showed up in the Old Testament to initiate revival. The setting for revival is that Jesus shows up. Now, Jesus didn't do it all by himself. He had to have Gideon, who had to build faith. He was freaked out. He was afraid. He had all these questions. He had all this discouraging things he was focused on. But when he submitted to God, when he obeyed what God asked him to do, God was faithful to build his faith. God was faithful to be with him and lead him to miraculous victories. Not just once, but multiple times. And I little fed up with the Eeyore Christian, usually a conservative, that's active and knows what's going on in the political realm and says, oh, we just don't have any choice. I think America's done with. Oh, boy, we are so bad. I think God's just going to throw us into the ocean. And I'm like, America's still worth fighting for. And if he used this story of Gideon when there was no natural hope, I think that would encourage us to have hope in the Lord, that if we will just obey, if we'll just believe, if we just submit and do what he says, he'll bring revival to us as well. He's got all the power in the world. He is omniscient. He, that means he knows everything and he's omnipotent. That means he has all powerful. Since he's all loving and he's faithful, we can trust him. And it's time we start asking for our nation back. It's time we stand together and say we believe God will bless his word if we trust and obey in him. Thank you for being with us today. Hope to have you back next week at this time. You can always find us at libertyremnantchurch.org. We have our podcast there and you should be able to find the Bible in our culture wherever you get podcasts. Blessing. Thank you for listening to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. If you want to support this ministry financially, you could do so by going to our website, libertyremnantchurch.org backslash give, and select radio ministry. See you next week at the same time.